the Dadcast, episode 33, The Zombie Show. It's the yeast we can do. This week's show is recorded live at Mesa 14 on November 22nd, 2010, with our special guest, Andre Nantel. Absolutely, unbelievably, and truly, truly live from the Mesa 14. It's a nice little restaurant on Bishop Street. If you don't know about it by now, you should. It's the Two Fat Dads Dadcast. I'm François Fortier. Joining me in the restaurant, Mr. Steve Magoo. Hey, world. Exactly to my left. And he's not on his manoir on the Richelieu River. Mr. Ben Nakanobi, how are you? Getting over his cold. Yeah. He's going to try not Almost. to cough. He's yes. actually got a good mic tonight. Eric, mm-hmm. how are you? I have a good mic normally. I'm very good. And joining us tonight for a very, very special... This is the reason we're downtown anyways, is so we could get uh, one of our... Actually, it's almost become an obsession of Steve's to tweet about this guy. But we're <laughs> going to go out anyways. So, uh, so Andre Nantel, a uh, renowned uh, futures in bioscience and uh, Montreal Systems bio- biologist, sorry. A photographer, traveler, gamer, and experienced dad of two. Welcome to the Dadcast. It's a pleasure to be here. And I just noticed you sat me next to the virus-producing machine. <laughs> we, we figured you probably had enough Trim 21s to take care of it. Yeah, Although I, I have no idea what that means, <laughs> even after seeing your PhD show on Friday. so <laughs> I didn't know until two days ago either. So, Actually, that was Friday. Huh. So uh, we, we, we talk about Andre a lot because he, he'll post some things about the show or he'll tell us uh, we're doing something wrong, which is usually not, not too bad of the case. But uh, so we wanted to get you on the show and uh, basically go through some a few of the issue, uh, of, of the some of the topics we talked about a lot. Steve go, likes uh, Stratomatic baseball, and and it came out that he's nodding. No one, <laughs> no one can hear you nod. <laughs> I, I don't want to cut your stride. I cut my stride. I think I need to cut my stride cutter once in a while. <laughs> so Stratomatic baseball is definitely something we're going to be talking about tonight because I even after you explained it last time I still had no idea what the hell you're talking about. So we'll we'll, we'll get there. I'll I do still, a better job today. Okay. I still barely remember. <laughs> So we wanted we wanted to get you in and wanted to talk to you in. and it's it's nice we had we've had a few dads on the show before we had Stephen Hackett from Memphis and we had Pierre Pitzkler who might make a, uh, an appearance later on or not depending if how badly the Habs suck <laughs> for all know we could be downstairs watching the game now but we wanted to talk about some of the stuff because there's a lot of stuff actually that we we're, we're looking into it a bit more there's a lot of stuff we share in common a lot of things that we like to do as well so before we get into that I just want to do a quick little review of uh, Cupcake Montreal yesterday so. Um, we got a call on Thursday night after, after doing the dad cast. Uh, well, we did the cast Wednesday. Thursday night we got a call and saying, hey, we're stuck. We need somebody with a webcam, and we need somebody who can do some color for us at the, at the show. Can you do it? And we said, we called we call the answer. You know, they called us out as being dads, and we said we had to do it. So we, we went in, and uh, yesterday we basically look after the Canon camera. So they have a big air monstrous air cannon, and it was just shooting cupcakes at people. Yes. At, like, I don't know. I, I exaggerated at one point. What no. was the what was no, the uh, no. what was the CFM? The speed of, speed of sound, it's probably right. right. Ten thousand CFM. That was a huge compressor. You could hear it all the way downstairs. But they had in total about six thousand people go through the doors, which is absolutely nuts. They had twenty thousand cupcakes, and there was maybe a small table of them left by the end of the day. So was that all publicized for Twitter, or there was something oh, in the major media to there, there tell people some, that there were free cupcakes? There were some... There, there were, well, you had to pay for them. It was $10. You got three cupcakes and a cup of coffee. Yeah. We well, didn't pay for the cupcakes. You made a donation. To, yeah. yeah, you made a donation, and you got three cupcakes and a drink. Exactly. And then you could you could donate and get more cupcakes. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, that was that was the big thing, really, is that it was, it was actually really cool because... Um, 
there was some Twitter talk. There was uh, all kinds of different talk. There was uh, the Gazette was there. There was some CTV coverage as well. So they did. They did have some traditional media coverage. But I would say the biggest bulk of it was done through social media. It was actually really impressive. They they raised thirty one thousand dollars. It's the biggest uh, cupcake camp in the world so far. It beat the the original San Francisco one and the LA one as well. And there was supposed to be some Whoa. kind of rivalry between LA and Montreal. And really. We got mm-hmm. there. Suck it, California. <laughs> <laughs> Suck it hard. <laughs> so, and the cupcakes were unbelievable. Um, ben took some loads of pictures. Eva Blue definitely took a whole bunch of pictures as well. There's loads of pictures on the Cupcake Montreal site. Have a look. But if you're not following Eva Blue uh, on Twitter, follow her. It's E V A B L U E. And also on Flickr, I believe she has the same name as well. But there, she and she usually posts all those wide open. So there'll, there'll be a lot of um, a lot of stuff going on as well. If you're listening live right now and you can't see us, that's on purpose because uh, we don't want you to see who we are. <laughs> and we only brought a small flashlight to light up the whole room. So next week we're bringing in floodlights. So that's basically our setup. We are live on Ustream. It's twofatdads.com forward slash live. And you can listen to us there. Or if you're on Ustream, you have Ustream on your iPad uh, or your iPhone. You can work. Andre has a nice little iPad. Uh, I don't know if we managed to get that working with the Ustream or not, but uh, no, like it was just an, an iPhone app, and I didn't want to bother downloading it. Not for a small screen. It's not, it's not good enough for you. It's well, I'm I'm you. used to the standard of the Twit <laughs> app that gives me a full screen video. It's like watching TV on my lap. So it is it is it is pretty, rather impressive actually. The the Twit app uh, is pretty cool. So if anybody doesn't know this already, uh, Andre does a regular stint on futures in bioscience. Uh, pretty much futures in biotech. Bi- biotech. I'm the one who used to call it bioscience. That's the worst <laughs> that's, part. It's probably your fault that I'm saying it. <laughs> and uh, you were a guest on there uh, last week. I, I listened in on all day on Friday, and uh, it was actually really interesting because there was there was an open uh, call at the beginning of the show. That anybody who made it to the last minute would get it with a bachelor's of science degree sent to them in the mail. So unfortunately, yours is still at the printer. Okay, darn. Because <laughs> I almost learned about Trim Twenty One. <laughs> I pretty much got how that works. And I, but I did know enough about the science to know that you schooled some Yale professor. I thought that was very cool, and uh, that was actually quite impressive. Maybe he was being overly polite as well. I hope so. The guy is a genomics expert. Genomics expert as well. So. Okay, we got the paparazzi in the studio as well tonight. Thanks, Ben, for that. No did, I, did you get my good side? You have ba- a good the side? Back of me. <laughs> the back of me? <laughs> Turn around, bend over, and you can get the good oh. side. <laughs> well, the clean tag's gone early tonight. There goes the clean tag. <laughs> tell, tell us a little bit of what genomics is. Well, so the people who actually pay my salary is the National Research Council of Canada, which is one of the research arm of the federal government. And what I do for them is I do well, what is called genomics research. Uh, so I work in figuring out what is the DNA sequences of organisms, most specifically uh, a fungal pathogen called candida albicans. So everybody looks at the back of your tongue. If the back is white, congratulations, you've got candida on you. Is that called thrust? Yes, it's, it's, it is most commonly, it's the most common cause of uh, fungal infections on mucosal surfaces, whether it's... Uh, well, it's, it's a nice show, so let's not go there. Um, <laughs> women know what I'm talking about. Okay. Uh, and if you're lucky, that's all you have. The problem why there's, there's uh, research being done in candida albicans other than just antifungal cream is if your immune system is out of whack and that little bug finds its way into your bloodstream, your chance of getting out of the hospital alive are about 50%. Wow. It's the 
third or fourth most common sources of hospital-acquired infection. And it's very common in people who have organ transplant, preemies, uh, AIDS patients, lots of AIDS patients will die of candida infections, and cryptococcus neoformans, another fungi. Um, and what we do in the lab is we, we haven't sequenced its genome, but we've helped a lot in figuring out what it means. And for that, I have to do the little biology course as to what DNA and genes are. Uh, every single cell in our body has a copy of our genome. So it's a long molecule. It actually is 23 molecules of DNA copied twice. And essentially, this is essentially a, a molecule that, that is a, a building blocks of four uh, uh, bases, we call them ACGT, to keep it simple. And it's, it's essentially a long sentence of four letters. And what you have to do is you have to read that long sentences and then figuring out what it means. And out of those four letters, you can define stretches of 20 amino acids, and that makes the proteins, that makes us what we are. It's our building block and our enzymes that can produce the sugars and lipids that complete what it is to be a life form. Uh, the lab I do itself, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, uses a technology that's called microarrays. So microarrays, I should have brought one, but although they're not very impressive, think of it as a, a glass, like a microscope slide. They're built the same format as a microscope slide, so it's a small piece of glass, one inch by three inches, but on that you can spot thousands of different DNA molecules that will specifically stick to other DNA molecules that you throw on them and that you've labeled with a fluorescent dye. That allows you to figure out which genes are expressed in this condition or that condition, whether it's a cancer, normal cell, a virulent candida strain, or a non-virulent one. Um, and it's, it's essentially one of the offshoot of the genome projects that have been um, developed for humans and other organisms. And we do a lot of that in my lab. Our lab is the second oldest microarray lab in Quebec and still one of the most active in the country. So we work on candida pathogenesis, we work on cancer, we work on heart disease, and we collaborate with a lot of people to do these research. So uh, if you do get the, the candida in your, in your bloodstream and it starts to, I mean, are there different variations of it? Because I, I, I remember my wife, when we were living in England, we, were, we, we lived in a moldy kind of apartment for, for a little bit, and we both got a little bit ill, so we moved out of the country, and then we discovered that she had, uh, she had, some intolerances that have developed to a lot of stuff. Yeah, that's probably aspergillus. Uh, there's a lot of fungi. Essentially, people with these 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 bugs release a lot of spores. They're very um, uh, they, they cause a lot of immune reactions. Once they get into your um, into your alveoli and your lungs, they they're very persistent. They're very hard to get rid of, and that's why having a lot of mold in your house is a problem. Uh, but it's a variety of different species. It's kind of scary the different number of species you can find in a very moldy house. Um, in our case, we're really concentrating on this one species, which is the one we mostly find in, uh, in uh, hospital-acquired infections and, and other. But there's a lot of people who use the same technology we do to study other fungal species. as a pretty vibrant community. It's a community that's very fun. There's a lot of exchange it's very informal on like people, I work in cancer and heart disease and this is very cutthroat 
competition. But fungal world, people are relaxed. They exchange regions and information. They get drunk together. Uh, <laughs> we're not going to become billionaires out of that. So it makes it for a much more fun, much more relaxing scientific environment. So, so I can, guess that can I just ask this question? Okay. Yeah. Did you wash your hands before coming here? <laughs> yes, I did. Yes, I did. I'm rubbing myself all over everything as we speak. Actually, if if that can reassure you, I'm. When you get at a certain level in sciences, they don't let you into the lab. My 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 lab is notable for having more robots than the technicians, but the technicians won't let me touch the robots. They really wow. <laughs> I'm okay. I'm in my red suit, so. Uh. <laughs> level four. So, which brings up another question because uh, every time Steve and I talk about futures in biotech, we sit around and we go, "Why do they keep going on about yeast all the time?" And it was that uh, the big joke, the running joke is like, "Okay, here we another show in yeast." Well, <laughs> this, it, it, this week in yeast is basically what it should be called. It, it's funny because my my uh, my wife's cousin, uh, either she's defending her her. Uh, her doctoral thesis, or she defended it already. I can't remember. And she's studying uh, ge genetics and genomics, I think. And so we got to talk at a family get together, and I started out with the whole yeast thing, and we went about five minutes until I got out of my depth, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and there's only so much that I can get out of fib before it becomes, you know, inside baseball. But uh, it, it really actually uh, got a good five minutes, and people around me were like, well, what's this yeast talker going about? He seems like he knows what he's talking about. All of a sudden, I, I plateaued, and it ended, ended out rather ungrace, uh, ungracefully. The, the reason a lot of biologists love talking about yeast is it's, it's a model organism that is so easy to manipulate and do anything you want with it on a very large scale that it's, it's our favorite model organism. And even though it's completely different from us, when you look at it at the cellular level, they're very, very, very similar. A lot of the concepts we learn in yeast are perfectly applicable to the human cell. So, and it's a lot easier to work, knock out genes on little yeast cells than it is to do on a mammal. You can do thousands of those in a few months, while just doing a single transgenic knockout mice or transgenic mice will take you years. So that's why we kind of like yeast. We do a lot of our initial studies in yeast and then see if these, the things we learn apply to humans and other organisms as well. So maybe later we can talk about what yeast plus one is. So the next time I see or I have a little, uh, another five minutes, we can try. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, my, my, my yeast level stops at chemistry and, and, and of beer and winemaking. So I'm, I'm out of my depth even. Actually, one of my clients is, is uh, Lalama, which is a company that specialized in the production of yeast for uh, industrial applications like beer. making beer and wine. Are you so, concentrating on protein signatures or only on the genomic side? Of we, do, we do both. We do, um, well, I'd say about 75% of our work is on the genetic side, essentially the expression of genes, looking at how all the genes are expressed in a variety of conditions. But um, our lab is also producing what's called protein microarrays. So instead of spotting DNA on these slides, we're spotting things like antibodies and plasma. And what I'm saying, spotting, imagine we're talking about a one-inch by three-inch glass slide. Uh, our, my, our lab's record is about 50,000. Well, it's actually little pieces of DNA that we can spot on these. So the size of these spots is about 100 micron or 60 microns across, and we can spot 50,000 of these on a glass slide. And that's even far from what some, com some companies are doing. And this is where I can reach into you guys who work in computers. Some of the top companies in making microarrays, one of them is called Agilent, which is an offshoot of um, Hewlett-Packard. And they're using the same technology that's used for an inkjet printer, but instead of printing very small droplets of ink, 
they're printing very small droplets of various chemical reactants that are served to synthesize DNA molecules on a flat surface, and they can make on a one inch by three inch, they can spot a million sequences. So they are about 20 microns across. So that allows you to really uh, essentially look at an entire genome on, in one experiment producing absolutely obscene amounts of data. And how would you read that data on, on the slide itself? The way we do that most commonly is we do what's called a two-color experiment. So we compare two samples, let's say a cancer tissue and a normal surrounding tissue. Uh, we use a chemical, an enzymatic reaction to label the transcribed DNA. So DNA usually goes from DNA to another molecule called RNA, and then you make protein. We transcribe the RNA with fluorescent dyes that are either going to be colored in red or green, and then we have a scanner that will measure the fluorescence of each individual spot. If it's one condition, it's going to be red. If it's the other condition, it's going to be green. And then what you do is you just quantify the fluorescence, and the rest is just detailed bioinformatics associating the various expression ratios to the function of these genes. You guys lost me at hello. <laughs> <laughs> Are we rolling? <laughs> is this thing on? <laughs> well, no, but I mean, that's always... That's amazing, though. I mean, I'm listening to it, and I'm trying to capture it all. And it's actually, I'm, I'm impressed at, at your level of knowledge in this, Ben, because I'm like, wow, that Ben knows what he's talking about. And, uh, yeah, and the question has been smart. It's cool. I was, uh, I'm... Like I said, I'm completely out of my depth, so I'm like beer making was was my best. So, dear, it's it's a it's a fascinating uh, yeah. subject, and and it's, not to turn this all into a, a futures in in, in biotech show, um, I <laughs> I'm gonna move it on because I want to participate in the show, <laughs> but uh, I want to talk about computers in a lab. So you guys are using apples in a lab. Uh, well, we got all 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 three kinds essentially. Okay. So. I'm a big Mac guy. Well, I mean, you can use either uh, Windows or Apples in the lab. We have both. We have uh, Dell that have been around since I took over the lab in 2004. And if somebody comes in and say, I'm more comfortable with Windows, I say, fine, you can use Windows. If you need help, you're on your own. Um, personally, I've been a Mac user since the days of the Lisa. So, and it's, it, you see a lot of Mac users in, bio, in bioinformaticians because you've you don't want to deal with all the crap that comes with using Windows. And if nobody's forcing you to use Windows, why would you? Uh, a lot of the work we do is on Unix as well. Uh, we have a, uh, a multi-cluster uh, Unix computer at the, at the Institute and some really top-notch uh, Unix gurus at the Institute that help us a lot with our bioinformatics. Uh, some of the math we're doing will take several days on the cluster computer. You, you can never run it, even on a desktop computers. But these are the guys who do the programming and who help us interpret our data. I have two, two bioinformaticians working with me. Like I said, one's a Unix guru. The other one is mostly a cold fusion uh, Perl script expert. And what's fun is I can just come to him and say, I have files in this format. I want them in this format. And he's teaching himself how to use MATLAB as well, which we're using for computer modeling at the same time. Of course, we're having lots of fun. We're seeing, like, why is the model doing this? Well, look at what the random number generator is telling me. And I know just enough to be able to, ha to hold my own against these guys to know what's potential the problem, and then they try to code it and give me the result. And I say, well, that makes sense, or that doesn't make sense. So that, I'm kind of like at a level where I'm able to supervise computer scientists, even though I have no clue how to program whatsoever. That's very cool. So you, guys, so you have all the systems in the work. You personally, I know from, from reading your tweets a lot, you use a lot of, uh, you use a lot of, of Apple products. I mean, you're, you're, you're a 
as much of a fanboy, I guess, as I am, probably a little bit more. Probably, yeah, very much so. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I consider myself a mag zealot. Okay. So, so you've got the iPad. You've already upgraded to 4.2. I've seen that already. He's doing the whole switching thing, which is pretty cool. And you've got the iPhone 4, which you just recently got this year because you were holed out for a long time. You were in the... Uh, I, you were in the Razor Club with Stephen Hackett. For a that while. was not by choice. I was <laughs> I, one of the worst moves I ever made myself when it comes to buying gadget is which I bought a uh, Motorola Razor. I think it was a V3. Uh, two months before Steve Jobs announced the iPhone, and I just for some stupid reason signed a three-year contract with Telus. So I missed out on two generations of iPhones because of that. So essentially, my iPhone right now is actually unlocked. My cool. wife's phone is unlocked. I for, after I did that, I promised myself I would never, ever sign a cell phone contract again, especially since this whole field is moving so fast. I mean, the fact that you have to sign a contract for three years for an iPhone, even I wouldn't do that because I don't know what's going to happen in three years. Exactly, and you, could, you know, for all we know, that they could just remove everything; could be completely different, which is the weird thing as well. So, one, I mean, um, I, I, well, I bought my first real cell phone. I guess I was living in England at the time, and I basically every year you would sign a one-year contract, and every year they would send you a brand new phone to stay stay with the network, and you wouldn't pay for anything. And half the time they'd buy your old phone back as well. They say, "Give us your old phone for twenty-five pounds, and we'll give you a new phone." So when I got here, and it's a three-year contract, and then they're they're basically. Um, to pardon the expression, but butt raping us on our on our airtime as well. Uh, it's really it's really sad. So I bought when I bought the iPhone, I bought it unlocked as well. And but then I also jailbroke it uh, a little while ago so I could use it uh, just in case the carrier you know does so I can use it when I go back and put my Virgin uh, SIM card in there and it'll work fine. So uh, that's good. We're getting some calls from the chat room already that we are are uh, it's too dark and that the video is too high. So hope we got that adjusted for you guys over there in the chat room. <laughs> Well, maybe the, the, high the chat part. room is actually Manonk, which is quite funny. It's actually <laughs> Steph who couldn't be here because he's got dad duties tonight. So now he's saying it's excellent and he's happy even though the, uh, the, the, the quality of the stream is a little bit dark still. So we'll try to get that sorted for the next show. I apologize. But, uh, you know, at least we're broadcasting live. Man, this is... we, we need your work lights. <laughs> yeah, we need, those, we need those massive strobes you have at home. Uh, I think they're pointed a little bit high. That's all right. We'll get some ambiance. It doesn't matter too much. So you, you were saying in the lab you had a bit of an issue with, um, with, with Microsoft Office. You had bought the student package? Okay. Well, the situation, I mean, I don't send money to Microsoft unless I absolutely have to. And essentially, I do all of my work on uh, Apple Pages with a few exceptions. The, only, the one thing that Numbers really doesn't do is, is to be an appropriate um, replacement for Microsoft Excel. Uh, there's a few things that Excel does, is especially with the kind of uh, spreadsheet that we work. We're talking about spreadsheet of 50 to 100,000 lines and maybe 50 to 100 uh, columns. Uh, numbers will just choke and die with spreadsheets. It's, it's, just not, like very, it's not very robust numbers. Not I, I, at all. So, uh, And I've been working with Office 2004 up to now and, of course, Office 2004 with the <laughs> Eric is distracting me. <laughs> Stop it, Eric. You're making our guests feel uncomfortable again. <laughs> no, I'm very com comfortable. He just, he's just distracting me. All right, so, so essentially uh, Office 2011 comes out. I yeah. figured, okay, I will buy Office 2011 licenses for myself, but I also wanted to, to, to buy it for the students and postdocs okay. in my lab. And this is McGill. This is a CI Charmani. This is McGill University. So I come in. Oh well, I mean, this is technically ac an academic lab. So I want to buy academic licenses for all the students in the lab. 
not that I have that much research money, but I figure it's a good it's a good deal since we're using a lot of these tools. Yeah, just stand like this with the. <laughs> <laughs> Ben's our Ben's our on hand tech. You yeah, can he's see the trying to get going. the light working by using a handheld filter. I get the feeling there's no useful long term solution to this. I think we're just going to live in the dark. You know what? It's, I, yeah, this is my best side. The dark side is my best side. Yeah. So you might as well just sit down and enjoy it. Really. Everybody <laughs> says I've never tried. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, no, you no, tried. no, you tried so hard. We thank you. Don't for you have it. another suitcase full of goodies downstairs? No, I think we're cool. Honestly, I think we're good. I think we're good. I think we're good. All right. So essentially, what happened is I say, okay, I go through the Microsoft web page, and the first thing I accidentally do is buy four licenses for the Windows version. So that was oh, bad. No. Uh, fortunately, they, they, they agreed to reimburse my money for that. So I go finally find the, the Mac link, and they say, well, give me your, your email addresses, and if it's a McGill.ca uh, McGill address, we'll give you an academic license. So I write to all the students and postdocs, say, okay, go to this page, register, then once you do, buy yourself a copy with my McGill uh, credit card, and everybody will be legal. I go in, I buy my own version, that's fine. The first postdoc that comes in and says, well, it says already there's one copy on this credit card and it won't let you buy another one anymore. That's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, so I'm going like, okay, what do I have to do? to? I want to give you my money. I want to give you my precious research money to legally buy academic licenses for my students and postdoc and they won't let me. So it looks like the, the, the kids are going to have to buy it on their own account and I'm going to have to jump through hoops for McGill to get them reimbursed for these things, which McGill is, is okay as far as managing money, a lot easier than the NRC, I have to say. Hope I don't get fired for this, but... Sorry, no one listens, apparently. <laughs> every week, every yeah. week we were like, oh my God, somebody else listened. <laughs> yeah, probably nobody from the NRC does. Uh, but essentially, I'm going to have The CSC to... is a different story, though. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we're pretty sure the NSA is listening. Oh, the NSA. Good thing Echelon is just an urban legend. <laughs> and wait, how can we on all dark all of a sudden? You said that word again, didn't you? <laughs> but, but you know, you're talking about the um, the academic licenses and stuff. You know, if you if you're a, uh, an alumni, you have a usually have a, an email for life, and that's good enough to get an academic, in theory, license for software. And that's so I got my MacBook know. Pro. <laughs> well, I have I have four kids that are in school, so I'm entitled to get an academic thing. I you reckon. have four kids. I have four kids. Yes. They're not exactly in school. Well, you know, they're in a certain kind of scholastic <laughs> system right now. It's maybe a bit of a preschool, but no. But I have a ten-year-old, a six-year-old, and the two twins. What are you, a machine? Apparently, well, not anymore. Now I'm a sterile machine. But, <laughs> yeah, but I yeah. closed that factory after two. Who the hell would want more than? Oh, anyway. Well, I wanted the boys. I wanted some boys, and uh, and we now you got we, two. We got took a chance, and I lost. <laughs> no, no, no. They're going to love you in about 15 years. Oh, but I love them a bit, so they're the best little boys in the world. Which is make me laugh, because both you and Ben are wearing Lego t-shirts, and they wore their, their Star Wars Lego t-shirts yesterday, so it's like, uh, I'm, I'm amongst friends. <laughs> it's cool. So, yeah, so we, anyway, so that, that, I mean, that's all you need to get it is, is an academic thing. It's just an academic, and I, I still have my eCam address, and even though I never use it, got into the Mac thing and just got myself a Mac. No problem there. I'm, I'm so surprised that they for for hardware. It's not that big of a that big of a deal. You're maybe saving fifty dollars on on Apple hardware. It's the software that yeah. makes a big difference. Yeah. Whether it's Photoshop or Microsoft products, you can save as much as half yeah. of the software costs. I and missed I'm, I'm quite um, lucky. the work pays for all of that. So. When uh, when Windows Seven came out, if you had an academic license, you could get it for like fifty bucks or even forty dollars. I got it for thirty five. 
Oh, wow, wow. sorry. That's amazing. Yay for academia. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I used well, it. Let me guess, the packaging was photocopied? <laughs> no, no, no. But they, they said it was. Sealed in Ziploc. It's that, uh, <laughs> was that, Snell River or something? You download Digital it. River? They, so they, Digital, Digital River. Yeah. And you download it. And the thing is, is what they don't tell you is that it's an upgrade license. So then you install this thing, and it, when you go to register, it's telling you, oh, do you have the hologram and all this stuff? And it's a, it's a digital download. How am I supposed to get a hologram? So you look at the workarounds. <clears throat> One of them is is good. I can't remember. They just say install and it works. That's a workaround. The second one is a <laughs> registry hack that Microsoft could close at any point, which is not really that good. The third option is to reinstall itself over itself, and it realizes it just got upgraded, even though it's the same version that you're <laughs> installing over itself. You gotta love Windows. And, and that worked fine. So FileMaker um, was pretty bad with that. We once had an upgrade of an upgrade of an upgrade. I had to enter four serial oh, yes. numbers <laughs> to upgrade my FileMaker installation. I had that with uh, a lot of Adobe products, too, where they basically you'd have to put disk after disk, and it was just ridiculous. Well, last time you did an Adobe upgrade, you were, you were out for two days. Yeah, I was, I was on the phone with, uh, with uh, well, first of all, I started California, and then I went straight to India, and I basically stayed there for for two and a half, uh, two and a half, four, four, maybe five hours, and then back to California, and then back ping ponged all around because they had given us we bought it online an upgrade, and they had given us the the wrong key code because we picked en us and we had enca on our systems, so it wouldn't work. So they had to give us a full blown. Eventually, they they made do and they gave us the full blown. We could install install it over everything. But, you know, we paid the money. We paid, like, uh, four licenses, four developer licenses for CS uh, Web Premium. And they basically wouldn't work. And we were out for two but, days. But digital right management is good for the oh, consumers. So great. <laughs> Ask Eric yes. about that. He loves that stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we're not even going to go there this week, Eric. Okay? Got it? Got it? Got it? <laughs> I, I'm not going to talk about Gene Spring. <laughs> So uh, I, you, you think you got it bad? Just wait till you pay four thousand dollars a year for a software license. Yeah, no, for the you know a lab license, I guess. It's uh, software that's used to analyze microarray data. So it like is. there's six people that buy it every year, you know. Yeah, you're basically, <laughs> it's a programmer who built it has to pay his own license too. I guess <laughs> that's pretty nuts. That's crazy though. Four thousand dollars. That's that's almost Adobe prices. They actually flew me to Bangalore because the, the new versions were so bad that they needed somebody to scream at their engineers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'd want to go travel all the way to Bangalore. But speaking of travel, this is something we want to talk about tonight as well. You, you go a lot of places, Andre. Yes. Like, not just around Quebec. Like, you were in Quebec City this weekend. Uh, sorry, I don't want you to <laughs> announce all of your movings throughout. Uh, <laughs> well, throughout North America. Throughout North America. You travel I mean, a lot. That, that is one of the side benefits of my job in the sense that you, go, you get to go to scientific conferences and whenever i travel to a conference i usually book a day or two extra especially if it's a nice place to do photography i guess that's also in the to-do list yes. for, for tonight um and in addition my wife is one of the world's best uh let's call it home travel agent she's very good when when, when we know we're going to go to this place she mm -hmm. will scour the web left right and center to find uh, the best houses to rent, the best places to visit. And by the time we go to this place, it is totally awesome. We've got, we've never done a trip that wasn't an absolute success. Uh, so essentially, we between the travel for work and the travel for, for ourselves, I get to go to probably four to six countries per year, which is kind of useful when you want to feed a photo blog That's every amazing. day like mine. Uh, you have to go to a trip where you're going to go and spend and take a thousand pictures, maybe two hundred of these are blog worthy, and that's how you keep a photo blog fed and happy over time. 
So when you take your pictures, let's say you're in Scotland, I think last year you were at a conference and, and, and you were blogging a bit about that and, and you're taking all these pictures, what, what do you do to, um, to store them or to make sure that your computer doesn't crash or whatever? Like, do you just hope for the best and... Well, I've had adventures on, on, on that. So my usual setup is um, I, I, when I travel, I travel with a Canon XTI. I have a Canon S90, which is my, my lightweight camera. I saw that. It's uh, very nice on the table right yep. here. It's a very slick-looking camera. It is a very slick-looking camera. It is, I've used the XTI a lot less since, I bought, since my wife bought me the S90, which is a reaction of me going to India and essentially being viewed as a walking ATM for most of my trip. Hmm. Um, but most of the time, I have my, um, my laptop with me, my uh, MacBook Pro, and everything gets put into the hard drive from the MacBook Pro, and then when I get home, everything gets backed up into a FireWire hard drive. Um, so, so when you're traveling, you're not you're not keeping SD cards just in case as well. Or? I have enough SD cards usually to, I'd say usually tide me over for about a two day trip. So it depends if it's a if it's for a conference that I have a two day setup for photography, I'm good enough with the SD cards. If I'm traveling. And essentially, I'll spend two or three weeks at one place or another, and in which case, I may end up taking one or two thousand pictures. Uh, that's when, yeah, pretty much everything is on the laptop, and I just cross my fingers and hope oh, nothing so you're, bad you're, happens. You're using faith a lot. I use faith <laughs> a lot. I've done some very stupid things. I've gone to the first time I went to well, the first time, the only time I went to India was the first time I traveled in business class. And uh, because uh, there was a company who was sending me there, and they flew me in business class. I don't know if you ever seen the business class seats in Air Canada. They look like pods. They're amazing. They're they're amazing. Except I'll unless, never see one. But well, unless <laughs> unless you're as tall as five foot ten, then which happens, then your shoulders hit essentially the the the, the break point between the headrest and the seat, and it's not that oh. comfortable. So I would be I would be screwed. You wouldn't. You'd be screwed. Okay. And the other problem, the major problem with these seats is they have what is called a laptop sleeves, which sounds like a very good idea. It's a specific area for you, for you to put your laptop, which is kind of towards the right side and towards the back. And when you're leaning back, it's perfect. But when you're in the upright and uncomfortable position for landing, your seat is more forward, and the laptop sleeve is essentially invisible. So what happened is we, I took the flight from Montreal to Frankfurt on my way to Bangalore, and I left the laptop in the laptop sleeve in this. my seat and didn't notice until I've walked halfway through the very, 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 very big Frankfurt airport to the lounge and then realized, hey, my bag is really light. Oh, shh. <laughs> yeah. So rush back for the airport. Get, they get me back into the plane, which was closed by now, and the laptop was gone, never to be seen ever again. Oh. So essentially, I did the India trip on a really, really bad Lenovo laptop. I mean, I'm a Mac zealot. It's, it's, it's but, painful for everybody. I mean, Lenovo. they give me this thing, which is plasticky and full of stickers and just like, what are these buttons for? And that between that and my iPod Touch, I managed to survive. Um, but... That kind of taught me a lesson about being more careful about my stuff and also being able to have backups when you travel. So these days, I, now I have a Dropbox account so I can throw stuff out there when I'm using it. Um, I, I use Flickr a lot for that, for the photo stuff. So I'll put a lot, I got the pro account, so I'll put a lot of the, a lot of the stuff when I'm traveling, when I'm going to England. So if I go to England for like a three-week three period, 
I'll take all, a lot of the nice, the five star, what I call five star stuff. Just chuck it straight up to Flickr and just you know in full. Origin. Yeah, but I shoot it's it. It's not in, great. I shoot it in raw. Each picture is like ten so eggs. I, so I'll, obviously, I'm throwing up the processed picture, the developed picture, and at least I have something in case I lose my laptop. But I'll, and then I carry a stupid little uh, eighty gig hard drive, which by the end of the trip is gone too, because I also shoot raw, which is a little bit silly. Well, so I don't have a really good backup plan either. I just I, I try to do. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm trying to convince my mother-in-law that it's okay for me to upload 50 gigs on a on a on a in England while I'm in England. Is I'm, I'm dial up. <laughs> dial up. <laughs> well, she's on she's on the basic B uh, the BT uh, internet uh, 500 uh, you know DSL the 500 kilobits per second, which isn't so great. Well, when um, my wife and I went on our honeymoon, we went to Fiji in New Zealand, so we figured you know it's going to be ages before we come back here. We took thousands of pictures, and what we ended up finding is there's these Photoshop's everywhere for five bucks. They'll take your SD card or compact flash or whatever you've got and drop it onto CD-ROM or DVD for you. So every few days we do that, and I think at one point we even put some in an envelope and mailed them home. Oh, so we had like a copy smart. with us, and idea. we mailed a co another copy home. We so, uh, we did that's something similar uh, when we went on our honeymoon in Spain. We were actually shooting on film still. Uh, I was uh, shooting on film. On my, uh, <laughs> I was on the Nikon F60, I think, is what I was shooting on. No, and K Pentax K1000 manual. Okay. <laughs> and and we uh, I, I shot 27 rolls of film. And yes. for me, that was a lot back in the film days. Yeah. And we, we had these coupons from Kodak where you could get, um, you know, a free CD. I had about 10 of these. And I thought, what a great idea. And one of my pro pet projects to do right now is to take my negatives. I have this scanner that um, will take the, the negatives and, and, and pull them in. Yeah. And I said, oh, well, I don't have to do it for these 10 <laughs> rolls. I only have 17 rolls to do. <laughs> Oh, hang on. We got some uh, some guys dying here. You guys okay over there? It's it's yeah, the yeah, yeah. east. Fine. All right. Okay. So so <laughs> so. Anyways, I look at these CDs and the photos are like 500k each. Yeah. They're these teeny Tiny garbage. Thumbnails. Yeah, thumbnail JPEG. By 480, and you're like, it's, what am I gonna do with that? I can't do anything <laughs> with that. But the the downside now is this whole process. Is I tried scanning in some of these negatives and. There's dust on them. There's dust on them. You got to get a puffer and the white gloves and a, a clean room. You know the magic, the magic, the magic wand in uh, in, in iPhoto actually works really well for that. I took uh, we had a lot of these uh, 110 films, like little square ones. So the, the whole thing with the 110 was that it was like they they all had yellow through time, right? The, the and they died. So I put them in, hit the magic wand, and uh, basically uh, it was uh, even if we get him a mic, I've got no. I got no more cables or, or en entries for him. So for those of you not looking, somebody just showed up and they're trying to find a way to get him into the show. We, we have an, a live audience. Well, he can be an audience. He doesn't have to participate. I love Alistair, but uh, he can be. We, we, <laughs> we'll get him in if we really need to. We'll sit next one, to one guest at a time. Yeah, one guest at a time. One yeah. guest at a time. You know what? It's a, it's a living experience. We'll just have to live with it. I'm afraid that's the way it's going to have to be. Uh, like the high professionalism of the show is, is going is stratospheric. By the way, if we're going to take a pause, the chat room says, congratulations on your PMP, Steve. Well done. Oh, thank you. So uh, Steve did a project management course. Even though you're a PMP, Steve, we still love you. And he's, uh, he's, he's, he's passed. So uh, don't worry, Alistair. We'll acknowledge that you are here, and we'll get you a chance to speak. We'll rotate the mics later. Everybody will shift one seat over maybe. I don't know how we're going to do it, but we'll do something a little later on. So going back to the 110s and iPhoto, uh, so basically I just stuck them in iPhoto. This is like uh, four or five years ago, and pretty much just hit the wand, and they all came back. All the colors came back, and I was like, "Wow, that was just too easy." 
So I just did all of them afterwards and gave them back to my, my mother-in-law, put them on a DVD, and she thinks it's the best thing in the universe because she finally, you know, not, not everybody looks green and yellow anymore. The, the day I decided never, ever to do film again was during my, my first trip to Costa Rica. I had my old, um, it was a Yashica FXD camo, which I had for a long time. And so I did half my, well, all of my trip with that, and I had my uh, in-law's digital camera. I don't even remember what it is. It's a really old Sony there's one of my um, uh, about me pictures is in my photo blog. I was taken with it, but essentially, I took most of the picture with the the film camera. And what, unbeknownst to me, halfway through the trip, we went through um, uh, a horse riding ride. And during the horse riding ride, as the camera was being jostled around, something broke in there. But it was subtle. It was a shutter that essentially would only open halfway when we take a picture. The problem is if you're doing a film camera and you get a problem with that, you never know. And when you're traveling, you never know if you're gonna come back to this place again and suddenly half my pictures are crap. So turns out that having the digital camera that my, my, my father-in-law loaned me kind of saved the trip. So after that, I said, I am never shooting film ever, ever again, especially in a trip. I bought myself a digital camera, never looked back. That's, that's hysterical because almost, almost the same kind of thing happened to me. We had our first daughter. I was living in England. I had the K1000. I had shot a whole bunch of stuff. I was really happy with it. And my wife was going through cesarean. And I guess I got nervous. And, and I must have just hit the, the, the speed dial with my finger going in so instead of being shooting at 125 i was shooting at 60 and or, or or instead of shooting at 60 i was shooting at 30 or for some reason or other so the flash was out of sync with the with the, the film so basically what i got was every single picture of my daughter half black oh. half picture so basically i was sending everybody these these portraits of of my of like half of my or a quarter of my daughter's face and i, I had a, a habit of always doing three-quarter framing anyway so Half the pictures were terrible, and half the pictures were perfect, you know, because they were all, all good portraits. But I learned then, eh? The second daughter, I bought a, a Fuji S5000. And when the boys were born, I bought a Pentax K200D. And, uh, and basically, just that was it. I overspent, and I went in there, and I took about... I, I think the first year they were born, I took 11,000 pictures. Just of, just of them. So I, I'm, I'm going to learn. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't stay like that for long. Don't worry. The, the, the amount of picture you take of your kids is inversely proportional to their age. By the time they're 11, they don't even want to see you with your camera. <laughs> well, you, you know, it's funny. We had to go for some passport pictures recently. So you sit them down in the chair and you say, don't smile. And they, big yeah. smile, right? They say, no, 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 no smiling. And they smile again. And you try to get them to do that at home, and it's the opposite effect. But for some wow. reason, you're in a store, you're in a photo studio, they're on this funny chair, and all they want to do is smile, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, my son, you point the camera at him, and he says, cheese, cheese, cheese. We so had, take the camera away. We had to take passport pictures of the boys. And, uh, and basically, they, you know, you had to prop them up somewhere. So I just, I said to the lady, I says, really? That's not going to work. So basically, I took them home, laid them down on a, on a white sheet, and just took pictures of them, like, standing straight up. Took goes down to the passport office and said, can I use these? And she goes, seriously, you're getting passports for six-month-olds? I said, yeah. So these will do. <laughs> she goes, I don't even care if their eyes are open or not. These will do. I'm not having twins in here no, screaming. <laughs> you, you, want, you want pictures that will last for a last time. My, my daughter was born in the U.S., so she actually has a Canadian citizenship card. And the picture on that is she's like 7 or 11, something like yeah. But these cards are good forever. Yeah. So yeah. she's going to be an adult still using the card with her picture of her as a seven-year-old. Well, this is what's happening right now to Morgan Alive, my, uh, who's, who's on, on Twitter. It's Morgan underscore Alive. He's my godson. He was born in, uh, he was born in 
uh, I want to say Bangladesh, but it's not. I think he went out to Singapore to get to be born. But his parents worked for the Red Cross. So they were living in Geneva or living somewhere else, and he got a little citizenship card. And that's the only card he owns that has his birth date on it. So he goes to the pubs and the bars here in Montreal because he's studying at UCAM right now. And he, showed, and he goes, do you have any photo ID? He goes, yeah. He shows him this, this citizenship card. And this is him, this baby <laughs> picture of him. He's like three months old and it's got his birth date. He says, do you have anything more recent? He goes, I have my passport. He goes, well, why don't you just show me that first? He goes, because this is a lot funnier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so at that point, the bartender just lets him in. And it's so do you have a rat hole music? <laughs> That's pretty much, uh, I think the intro to our show. <laughs> it's the rat hole music. <laughs> So no, we wanted to, we, uh, photography was one of the big things we want to talk about because you do have a successful photo blog and you're actually selling pictures, okay. which is something that I want to know how you're doing it because nobody's ever asked to buy anything of mine. Well, I mean, it, there's several ways of doing that. Um, the, one of the easiest way, and it's really stochastic because it happens very rarely, is actually on Flickr. Uh, I've actually sold pictures on Flickr. I've had one picture of my sister looking out the window that was bought by a British real estate agent for $500. Wow. Um, I've had, a, and, but that's kind of, and I've had a video of uh, beating cardiomyocytes bought by a biotech company for a couple hundred dollars. Uh, the catch is very often people will ask you on, on, on uh, Flickr, oh, you got a nice picture, can I use it? What you have to do when that happens is you have to, to, to look, is the picture going to be used for personal and commercial use? And if it's used for commercial use, do not be afraid to ask for several hundred dollars because that's what it costs for a commercial use license, especially if they want exclusivity or anything like that. So that's, that actually has been made the, the Flickr Pro account uh, fee of like $30 to Yahoo every year certainly worthwhile for me. Cool. Um, but most of my sales are being done through uh, what is called microstock agencies. So these are agencies that will take pictures from amateur photographer and they will sell them usually for a very low rate. We're talking two, three, four, five dollars per picture. And these are what's called royalty free pictures. So they can be used for anything. You have no idea who the client is. You have no idea what they're going to do with the picture is. But you sell a lot of them if they're good and if your portfolio is pretty good. Um, so in my case, I'm selling several thousand a year. So it gives me enough money to buy a lot of toys. And my wife cannot complain about me buying all these gadgets. Which, because which is it's one of the reasons why we want to talk about it. Exactly. <laughs> the less trouble I'm in with my wife, the better. <laughs> well, there, there's a few. There's a lot of microstock companies out there. The ones I recommend the most is uh, Shutterstock and Dreamstimes. Uh, the Shutterstock. We'll put that, we'll put that in the yeah, Shutterstock is the American. Well, I'll give you my referral code then. Okay, Shutterstock <laughs> is the American company. Dreamstime is actually a Romanian, but I've never had any payment problem from them. There's a Canadian company called iStock Photo as well, which is very one of the big. It's hard shot. to get into, isn't it? iStock Photo. That's the problem with iStock. I'm in with them. I've actually haven't sent them anything new in two years because suddenly, after a while, they kind of started rejecting everything I would send to them. I still get money out of them. I still sell pictures. But unless you're an exclusive with them, they really treat you like shit. Um, Shutterstock and Dreamstimes are much nicer. Fotolia is good as well. Big Stock Photo is another one I'm with them. So between all of them, I have maybe a thousand pictures in my portfolio. They don't accept everything. Sometimes there are things that have been done to death. You have to pick uh, area. So every time I travel somewhere, I see what are the pictures available for that spot. Can I do anything better than what's available? 
Uh, I moved. So you're you're actively when you're going on a trip, you're actively looking to to get pictures for stock. Yeah. Well, I I go and I see what's available. I don't. There were a time I would purposely spend half my vacation taking pictures for stock. I don't do that anymore. Actually, I haven't sent them anything for a year and a half by pure laziness on my part. Because now I have maybe about 700 to 1,000 pictures in my portfolio. It's making money without me doing anything. So that's um, the, the impetus of me to work to send them maybe another 10 pictures out of 1,000. Uh, the, 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 the payback is less than what it was. Also, they're, they're getting a lot pickier because, I mean, let's be frank, Shutterstock had like, man, I don't know, three, five million pictures. A lot of the easy stuff has been done. So they're looking for really unique pictures that would require too much work on my end. So it, it's still possible to get into that racket. But it's a lot harder than it was three to five years ago. So shots at Atlantis, shots uh, on the moon, things like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, you also have to... Oh, the, the moon you, studios in California? You also have to be very aware of Shh, what Remember, makes, the NSA is listening. They're always listening. That's, that's why I like to taunt them. <laughs> well, you, you have to be very aware of what makes legally an acceptable stock picture. You can't have a, a visible face unless that person has signed a model release. That's a huge pain in the ass. Yeah. I got a few pictures of my daughters. They're selling great, but I don't take portrait because of that. Uh, some buildings have copyrights on them. The Eiffel Tower, you can shoot it in, in the daytime and sell it. In the nighttime, the light pattern on the Eiffel Tower is actually copyrighted. Wow, so you can't sell those pictures. So there are things you have to read to know what you can shoot and what you cannot. So, and after, I mean... Once you've done that, you're okay. You cannot, there are pictures you can sell as what is called editorial. So that describes an event. They don't sell as well. The other place you can sell, there are agencies that will sell less pictures but for more money. Uh, the most common one, the, most, the best known one is called Alamy. I'm not an Alamy uh, for again because i'm lazy um they they but kind you of have a real job you can't be blamed for yeah that that's either. that there are people there are <laughs> people who live on yeah. that actually the most famous micro blogger uh seller is called lise gagné on uh, on um uh iStock photo and she's actually from montreal uh but so alamy will sell a much lower number of pictures but they'll sell them for a lot more money um, there's a couple of other uh, agencies like that. There's one agency, for example, I sold a picture for, um, uh, to Dr uh, DreamWorks for a movie called Blades of Glory that was filmed in Montreal. And what they, they bought from me is they bought a picture of the Olympic Stadium at night. And they say, okay, well, buy, we're buying this picture for $1,600 US. So when they buy that, they say, we want exclusivity. We want nobody else to use that picture. And they say, can you go and take the exact same angle at daytime? Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, boss, I got the cold. I need to leave now. <laughs> Ran off to the Olympic Stadium. Take the same picture from the exact same spot. But because it's daytime, that one's twenty-four hundred. Well, what they right? wanted to do, what they wanted to use it for, was essentially the view out of Will Ferrell's hotel room. He would see the Olympic Stadium. There's no, there's no hotel next to the Olympic Stadium, but in that movie, there was. Of course. And actually. <laughs> Um, they they didn't they ended up didn't use they, they did not end up using the daytime picture they used a nighttime one uh, when Will Ferrell walks into the hotel room and he had the girl from the office wearing a very sexy negligee 
So, of course, nobody saw my picture. They're all looking at me. It's, it's, it's in the background. Now, we're all going to go back and watch the movie four times again. I still can't see the picture. <laughs> and what's kind of funny is also is they modified it so much by changing the color balance and whatnot. It was barely recognizable. But, hey, I got my money. I don't care. Uh, the other funny thing that happens is when you, when you sell pictures to Microstock and they sell them to all people left, right, and center is you have no idea who's using your picture. So sometimes you encounter your pictures in the wild, which is really fun. Oh, that's cool. And the funniest one that happened is I went to my neighborhood IGA, which uh, for people not from Quebec is a, um, a, is grocery. a grocery store. Yeah. yeah. So I walk in there, and they have a uh, photography contest, pictures from Quebec. And they have this big poster with like, Five pictures from Montreal, Quebec City, and whatnot. Three of those are mine. That's hysterical. And I go, okay. <laughs> I actually sent the picture of Montreal just to play with their heads. I didn't win. But oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, what about copyright in, in cases like this? I mean, if you're not aware of what's being sold, do you get anything back, or is it actually exclusive to their use? It is not exclusive. Royalty-free means you have no idea who else has bought that picture, and you're allowed to use it pretty much any way you want, as long as you don't uh, deprecate the person who's selling it. So if you take the picture of somebody and says, I'm a Nazi, join the Nazi party, that's not a good idea. You right. want to have a really solid model release for that. But for most pictures, you can do anything you want. The catch is you don't know what they're using your picture for. And sometimes you find pictures on the web, and I have no idea if they've bought them legally or if they just lifted them off from my web page. Okay. Uh, that's so kind you, of the... You've got to go by faith on that one, or you just... You have to go by faith. Okay. Technically, there would be... The technology is there for them to actually encode digital bookmarks within their pictures, but they just don't bother. They don't bother. Mm. Interesting. So um, you, you mentioned a little bit earlier you shoot with an XTI, which is a Canon, which I was wondering about if you were a Canon, Nikon, or any other kind of photographer. So you're definitely a Canon guy. Is that by choice or because you always had Canons in the past? No, it was essentially when I decided to buy myself a good DSLR, I had to decide between buying a Canon and an Nikon. That was in 2004. In those days, the Canons were ahead of the curve compared to the Nikons. Right now, I think it would be in the Nikons because of their high ISO capabilities. It really changes from year to year. Um, a lot of my work was done with XTI-level cameras. I tend to put my money in the lens more than in the, um, the camera. It's in the body itself. Although, when I went to India last year, um, I kind of felt very self-conscious walking around the camera that was worth more than what most of these people were making in a year. Um, also, I was in Bangalore, which is not exactly a tourist city. So I was usually the only Westerner in a broad area. So I, was, I would walk around the place. It was like Night of the Living Dead. Suddenly the zombies see you and they start crawling towards you. So I would go to a temple and all of the beggars would go like towards me. And very quickly it had like 20 people around me. That was not fun. Is this where you get your zombie uh, infection? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I certainly felt like it. So when I came back, I kind of told my wife, I, I need to get myself a Just less a conspicuous camera. And so uh, Christmas time came shortly after, and she bought me a, an S90, which takes almost as good picture as my XTI does. Certainly good enough for the um, for a photo blog. Maybe not good enough for selling a stock, but I'd say when I shoot, it's half for stock, half for the photo blog. Uh, so in situation where I go to the S90, and I know there's no chance I'm going to shoot, I'm going to sell any of these pictures. I just take the S90. The quality is certainly good enough. Uh, and because you, it's, you get manual commands of everything. You can control your 
your depth of field, you can control your ISO, you can control everything, and it shoots in RAW. So it's, and I can shoot uh, three pictures, so I can do HDR photography if I want to. So it really, it's, it's really my go-to camera. You can do HDR on that? I can do HDR I was on gonna that. Add, one of the things I wanted to ask you tonight is how Coming are tomorrow, the, pic, the HDR picture I'm, I'm posting tomorrow was taken with the S90. And, and how are you processing your, your, um, your, your um, HDR? Because, or, or does the camera do it manually? Well, no, the, the HDR you have to use. The catch is, is up until I was told CS5. I'm still running CS3 for Photoshop. But I was told that until CS5, the uh, HDR um, capabilities of Photoshop were absolutely crap. They always uh, were. Yeah. So I use, um, what is it, Photomatics? Okay, uh, use Photomatics. I use Photomatics okay. for all of my HDR work. Um, I kind of started... There's a there's this web page that does a lot of HDR called. So uh, so I'm, I want to just want to interrupt you. Are you using Photomatics in Aperture or in Lightroom? Or I, I use neither. What are you using? I use iPhoto. I use a mixture of iPhoto and Bridges, which is a photo photo The reason is because Adobe I Bridge. Adobe Bridge. Oh wow. The reason is because I live in my laptop. I don't have a desktop computer. Okay. So it, it, to be able to use Aperture or Lightroom, you need to have a big ass hard drive to have all your pictures <laughs> in. Five hundred gig. Yeah. And <laughs> my, my big ass hard drive is my backup hard drive okay. I keep at home. But I'm not gonna go and plug it in every time I want to do picture work. So most of my time. I have the the latest pictures in Bridge, Adobe Bridges on on my laptop. But the problem with the laptop is you have 250 gigs, so you're always limited to hard drive space. Yeah. So I couldn't really have. It wasn't good for my own workflow to have a system that would have all of my raw pictures and organize them. So that I never got into Aperture or. Um, uh, what is it, Light? Lightroom. 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 Yeah, Adobe is a light room. It's supposed to be the Aperture kind of like wannabe, right? Well, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a Mac Zealot, so I'd probably be using Aperture, right? Yeah. So, so I, I, use, I use Aperture, and I've just found that the Aperture 3 is can be slow. Like, you have to turn off... I only have four gigs of RAM in here, so I have to turn off, like, Safari. You have to turn off Mail. You have to turn off a lot of settings just for it now, to see, work. see, that would kill me. You have to be in it. You know, yeah. you have to want to do it. So basically, it's, I've, take, I've taken lots of pictures, in the, and I've still, I still have... Uh, in my workflow, I have this folder called To Be Processed. And that, that folder now has over a thousand items. I'm just not sitting down and I'm not getting the time to process yeah. the pictures. So I use bridges to, to organize the recent stuff. And then once they're processed, I put them into iPhoto. And usually when I decide what to put on the full blog, I go for iPhoto. I say, I have put that one, that one. Okay, I haven't done that one. That one goes in. Oh, that's cool. That's like, I, was in, I was really interested by your, your, uh, your stuff. So you're using Photomatics inside uh, uh, Adobe Bridge? No, or? I use a separate application. Okay, use that, the standalone Photomatics. Yep. Okay. Because I played around with it in Aperture, and it's 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 good. I'm I'm thinking of making a move towards. I read the latest version is even better than the current the one I'm using. I'm kind of late on versions. I've been because of Adobe's licensing. Uh, well, let's call them their really really bad crap. licensing system. Yeah, I'm always very afraid to update Photoshop once I have a workflow I'm really comfortable with. I need a really good reason to update that. So right now I'm running CS3 and. Um, Photomatics, that's one, one version back. I'm actually probably going to upgrade, upgrade Photomatics before I upgrade Photoshop. We, we had to kill CS3 because we, we use it. Um, it's our, our development environment in, on the web for our web team. So uh, it, it just it was dying. Uh, you couldn't, we couldn't open any, any pages that were over a certain amount of K. Uh, so we, we basically had to go to CS4. And then recently we went up to CS5. And CS5 is okay, but it's not. It, it's okay, but it's not enough. You know, it's not enough okay for it to be, you know, there's not enough different changes from CS4. So definitely a huge jump from CS3, but 
it is it is buggy. But I don't I don't I use Photoshop only if I'm going to do HDR. Only if I'm going to do HDR. So, Dre, you were saying something about a, a website using uh, HDR pictures, or uh, was it oh, a, yeah. a how-to? Yeah, or? it's called Stuck in Customs. So essentially, it's a guy whose specialty is to do HDR photography. He actually does a lot of seminars and teachings and learning how to do people how to do HDR. Uh, so essentially, that's how I got started. How to learn how to do HDR is I went to his, his site and I went through the tutorial, and one of the first thing I realized is that there's there's a lot of people of different there are different um, opinion when it comes to HDR because, like everything, when you I, I see HDR like cooking. You could be cooking and essentially just filling that stuff with salt and butter and sugar, and then uh, the taste. deep fry it. And, yeah. uh, a lot of HDR picture are like this Scottish delicacy, which is the deep fried Mars bar. Oh yeah, that's gorgeous. I'm sorry, but that is really good. <laughs> deep fried Mars bar HDR is not. It's kind of like my it's style. An instant heart like, attack. No, those are, I, I took pictures of Laurent this summer, and I, and I said I'll play around with, with HDR. And I so, took one of the Disco Ron, and I got the bridge in the background, and I tried to HDR, and that's probably the only HDR picture that I've ever gotten right. Everything else, it looks like it's like come out of like uh, fuzzy gnome land. It looks just, it just looks so super super fake. Well, like those watercolor paintings yeah. that you see yeah. in front of museums. Well, the, when you're in HDR, first the lesson is use a tripod as much as you can. Yeah. That helps a lot with the fuzziness. Don't take pictures of trees when it's windy. Forget about it. Everything that moves in HDR is going to look like crap. Uh, be very careful with saturation. A lot of people are just boosting the colors and the contrast, and they look really? like They're really, really fake. Because that? that's all no. there is these days. It's just no, super saturated. No. <laughs> the reason I, I use HDR is because I go for the principle that human eye has a much better dynamic range than any camera out there, and I'm trying to yeah, I'm, and I'm trying to reproduce that in HDR. I'm trying to do hyper realistic HDR where you see everything, but it doesn't look too fake. Sometimes I go through the too fake because it looks good, but I try to more keep it to the... Yeah, more, of the more of the butter to hold the salt. Yes. Yeah. And the other thing that helps with HDR is it's fantastic in situations where the light is not optimal. Uh, when I travel, I only spend one day in a certain city. I, if it's cloudy... I have to take pictures when it's cloudy, and HDR when it's cloudy will come. will take stuff that will look absolutely gorgeous, while in normal photography will look totally flat. Uh, you, you don't even have to take three pictures. Sometimes you just take a raw picture, and you do what, what is called a pseudo-HDR in photomatics, and when it's cloudy outside, it will come out gangbusters. A lot of pictures I took in Scotland were actually what is called pseudo-HDRs. I just took one raw picture, but it will really bring out the differences in the cloud, that they'll look menacing and scary, even though in real life they were just flat gray. Wait, it was cloudy in Scotland? <laughs> uh, occasionally, yes. Never heard of that. I, I mean, if you think Scotland it can be cloudy and unpleasant, I mean, that was in Edinburgh in summer. That wasn't bad. I was in Aberdeen in February a few years back. That was really nice. I, I lived in England for 10 years. Uh, my, wife, my wife is British, so I lived in England for 10 years. I lived on the south coast of England, which is supposed to be the best part of England because it's supposed to be almost like France. It's nothing like freaking France. No. It, and I, and I, I am a bit of a biker. I, I, I bought a motorcycle, and, I, and that's how it was my main mode of transport. You can only afford one car, so I bought a motorcycle, and I rode it 364 days a year because there's always be one day I couldn't get the, the bike up the hill because there's a little bit of frost on the ground. But by March, I wanted to slit my wrists. I was so tired of the gray, drabby, crap weather with the muck all over my, my, my Gore-Tex. It's just the most depressing country in the world in March. In March here, it's like 
blue skies, like really, 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 really blue skies. This is gorgeous, you know, this sunshine. It's completely different. Lots of maple syrup to raise our spirit. That's right. <laughs> it's almost over. Keep repeating ourselves. <laughs> no, but at least, at least in the middle, in dead of winter in Canada or in Montreal, there's, there's always going to be a, those days where it's like, it's, it's bloody cold. Where you get, freezing, the ice, you get the ice fog off, the ice off, fog, the yeah. ice fog off of the off of the river, but it's blue skies. Yeah. I keep telling gorgeous. myself in March that winter's over. Winter, no, winter's never no, over in March. Over. But I keep telling myself it's over in March. But I'm I'm a winter guy. I I'm, I guess I was growing up by saying there's no there's no bad weather, just bad clothing, and so I, I kind of I don't mind it. I don't mind. I do like to spend some time outside, so yes. I, I don't mind it so much. So you wanted to we wanted to talk about this a little bit too. Um, uh, the, the tr- going back to the travel log and, and where you've been and all that, what's the best place you'd go back again and again and again? I already know I'm going to retire in Hawaii. I, really? Mm, I've yeah. been to yes. Oahu. Stay away from Honolulu. Seriously. I mean, it's a big city. It, lots of tourists. Not fun. But you go to the North Shore when it's not surf season, it is absolutely gorgeous, very quiet, very, very pleasant area. Um, we've gone, so we've gone to Oahu, Oahu one year, then we came back to Big Island. Big Island is actually, I won't call it dirt cheap, it is Hawaii, yeah. but it is much lower population density, very, 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 very pleasant. There's no way in hell I'm going to retire in Florida. I will kill myself before that happens. <laughs> I, 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 saw a thing. I don't own white shoes. <laughs> I, I saw somebody refer to Florida as the, um, heaven's uh, waiting room. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I've been to Florida several times, and it is probably the most depressing state I've ever been in. I mean, it's nice as long as you're in the beach. goes two blocks away from the beaches, and it gets very, very depressing, and then two more blocks, and it gets very, very, very scary. Right. Um, but Hawaii is so relaxed. It is... In its own time zone, nobody is in Hawaii's time zone. You're like four hours away from Europe, three hours away from California. Nobody's in your time zone. You're in the middle of nowhere. I was told, though, that you end up getting island fever after a while because you're so isolated that you got to get out of there. Especially you who likes to travel so much. Wouldn't that be kind of weird for you not to be able to just get up and go? Probably, but the, the, what's fun about this area is you can probably you can go back to America. You can go to Asia. Uh, if you want to really be... Uh, and what's fun about Hawaii is it's got this really lovely mixture of... Uh, I call it the only U.S. state. When, the, the only U.S. state with an actual culture of its own in a sense that you got this wonderful mixture of American, Polynesian, and Asian culture. Totally mixed up. Really, really enjoyable. Cool. So where, where would be the place that you would never, ever go back to? There, there's no place I've been that I would never go back again. But I have to admit... Uh, that my trip to India could have gone a little bit better. I mean, losing the computer on the way in was probably not optimal. But And the fact is that I was only there for five days, so it's probably was I was told that you need a lot longer to learn how to enjoy it. But I, I found India to be exhausting, grimy, and very difficult to do what I like to do, which is just walk around this place and discover it on my own. There's really no way I could do that in Bangalore. I, I, I had a driver that actually gave me a driver so I could go anywhere I want. It would take forever to go anywhere. It's very loud. It's very smelly. It's incredibly stressful. I actually told the driver on a Sunday, okay, I'm going to try to do this on my own. That did not work. I was walking along the street. I would have these three-wheelers next to me. Taxi, taxi, sir, taxi, taxi. Then he would go away. Then the next one would go in. Then the next oh, one. Dear. Then the next one. And then you're walking around and you're essentially viewed as a walking ATM machine. 
And essentially, you ne you never have peace and quiet for one second. I found that tremendously stressful. If I go back to India, I would probably be with my wife, who's more of a people person with me. So she would probably be able to distract the people around me while I take pictures <laughs> in a more quiet idea. setting. Yeah, well, well, bring your own spy. Just ignore the guy with the big camera and just look at a pretty blonde right He's there. not so, a tourist. For our, for our honeymoon, we went to Tunisia. And it was like, uh, we were living in England at the time, and it was either we go to Grand Canary, we go to Ibiza, or we go to, to Tunisia. And I thought, well, you know what? I don't want to go to the, just one of the places where there's a bunch of 18 to 25-year-olds just going, you know, whatever. So let's go to Tunisia. And at the same time, I'd done my research, and I knew that's where they shot Star Wars, so I wanted to see that. And uh, I, I'm that kind of guy, too. I'm the kind of guy, six foot four, blonde, blue eyes. I walk around town, and I don't really, I, I, I don't take notice of people around me. I just, you know, I just walk around yeah, my own thing. You can't I, see them. But I don't, I don't <laughs> live in, like, I'm not one of those kind of people who walks down the streets and lives in fear of, of stuff happening to me because I'm so tall. So when I, when I went to Tunisia, and I was this, this incredibly tall, and back then I had long, a lot longer hair and, and the blue eyes, I got stopped by everybody. And people were put, coming up to me and putting, like, iguanas on me, and they're going, $5, take it off. I would just take it and put, give it back to them and say, well, no, I'll keep my five dollars but thank you for the iguana <laughs> so you know they, they were trying to do these things and, and i i found it you know annoying as well and 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 then uh, and then i was traveling with my wife who's 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 also blonde and a lot smaller though and you would we we were told all the time never leave her oh you you push her out of the cab and then you get out so they don't drive off with her and all that kind of stuff and it, for me that was completely alien because i'm so used to just walking around montreal walking around anywhere i go walking around london amsterdam paris and not have to have any issues it was it was eye opening for me when i went to tunisia and i i, I kind of get where you're going with the bangalore thing and i haven't heard too many people go on about in trips to India where it went off where the way they went. Nobody can imagine that kind of lifestyle. Well, there, there's there's two Indian trips you can take, right? There's the... Uh, big, <laughs> no, but there's the big city India trips, and then there's those resort towns that you're on the water and, and you're not... It's kind of like the Mayan yeah, Riviera we yeah. or going into Mexico City. Yeah. You know what I mean? That, that, there's those two different types of vacations you can take in India, but... We in North America don't really understand India very well, and and I, granted, this is coming from the guy who doesn't like Indian food. But the other day, <laughs> how uh, dare you? How do we stay friends for this long? <laughs> the, the the other day, uh, a friend of mine from high school wrote. Uh, she was talking about uh, customer service, and it's going down a real rat hole. But there's, I promise, there's. It, it comes back, you sure? back. Okay, yeah. we'll, we'll watch it, okay? And, and she, was sure. she was complaining about customer <laughs> service, and then, you know, and they can't, nobody can speak English. And then somebody said back, well, what do you mean? What language do they speak? And she said, Indian. And that irked me because you don't speak Indian. You can speak one of the languages they speak in India. It's like saying you speak Canadian, right? So I, I do. I, I, I called her out on that and, and, and wrote that. But the thing is, is if you go to India, you have to understand the, the, the state you're in and who the people are and, and, and those cultures. Because if you go from corner to corner, it's not like saying Western Canadian or Eastern Canadian. There are real differences b between the people in the North and the East and Kashmir and all this different stuff. And you sort of have to learn about that and understand it. Otherwise, you just sort of painting the whole country with a big brush. And, and that's the thing about vacations there is if you're going to Bangalore or you're going to Delhi, it'll be very different trips, even, uh, even though they're big cities and they all they kind of look the same, but they're kind of very different trips. So it's, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be the first to admit the, first, the only trip to India that I really enjoyed is when I went to Birmingham in England. 
That was <laughs> the food was awesome. <laughs> is, is that where that's it, that restaurant that you're banned from is? No, that's that's in the south. That's, that's in the south of England. <laughs> but uh, but it's funny because when I when I, I I've been living in, in England for ten years and I'm like oh great Indian food and, and uh, the, I got there and and somebody said uh, no Indian food's not from India it's from Birmingham and and now Balti just means bucket. <laughs> that was like it was like it was Birmingham's KFC. <laughs> that was like, it, it is fascinating sometimes to see the differences in culture between. So we've been I've been to essentially two countries in Asia. One was India. The other one was Japan. Wow. And while in India, nobody would leave me alone for a second. In Japan, my wife and I were essentially invisible. We would walk into a, a very, very crowded Japanese train that was filled with salarymen and women, all of them totally buried into their cell phone and we would walk in we would look totally different like we're I, I'm, I'm tall she's blonde we're not Japanese and every they would not even lift their head to say oh look at the gaijin just walked in they would just stay totally into their world it's like we'd never existed it was totally different than what it was when, oh, that would be a cool trip that would be a cool trip yeah. to oh Tokyo in. is so I wish we had their train system yeah. it it is you, you it, think it kills you, me it kills me that that we live in such a big country and our train system is the crappiest train you system know you know why the train worse system, than the indian trains you know why <laughs> in japan they have people to push people into the train so they can close the door it's because there's another train two minutes just behind that one so they have imagine if you're in the montreal metro and there's a metro every two minutes all the time. It's awesome. Of yeah. course, it's packed. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, we, we made the mistake once of taking the train in Tokyo during the morning rush hour. Never again. No. <laughs> wow. Well, the, and, and the rush hour in Tokyo is between four in the morning and six in the morning, right? That's when everybody's going to work. Yes, that's but, true. Yeah. But the uh, the thing that would never work there is the bullet trains with the doors that stay open. Uh, we, we had that here, and in the, just in the metro, I can just imagine the bullet trains with all these people flying out the side, you know, at 260 kilometers an hour. <laughs> but, uh, but somehow the metro seems to work yeah, fine with the way their doors open, because yeah. I've seen that more half more than once when I was a teenager. They, uh, they probably don't spray their trains with cow manure either before they leave the station. Uh, are we still talking about Japan? Uh, yeah, well, that's what happened up here in the Deux Montagnes, right? Oh, okay. Last, uh, last fall. Oh, really? What happened there? Well, they parked the trains out in a field somewhere, and the farmer decided to spray his fields that morning. <laughs> oh, boy. Nice. <laughs> this, is going, <laughs> this is going back to my, to, my, to my motorcycle story. We lived in a little farm, farm cottage in Dorset, and I, I'd have to drive, uh, ride six miles into town before I would actually get to the big roads. So I'd, I'd, I'd basically go up and down this, this farm road, which in most of the year would be nice and dry, and you can really bend it and get some nice, you know, it's fun, you know, driving and doing 70, and it's okay. So in, in, in March and in April, they are muck spreading. And then, and then when they're not muck spreading, they're taking the pigs from one side of the road to the other side of the road. So uh, you're wearing Gore-Tex, and then uh, you come home, and then you're, you're just covered head to toe in, in, in cow and pig shit. It's just like there's shit everywhere. And so I'd, I'd, I'd get home, I'd park the motorcycle, I'd hose it down, and I'd go into, the, into, into the, 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 our garden. I would just stand like a big scarecrow, and my wife, my wife would just hose down the Gore-Tex to try to get the shit off of me Yum. so I could come into the house. Love that was... Uh, Young that was, love. Quite a little vision there. Quite a that vision. was, uh, you know what, those days... Thank God, this is not smell a cast. <laughs> <laughs> for, for sometimes in the, in the winter, I would just take the car on purpose. And we, we just lost a, our Ustream. We had a, <laughs> seriously, what happened? <laughs> Better now, with smell it was, uh, it was it was pretty it was pretty dire though. I mean, you just like you know, it's, it's gross, but that's life, you know. 
Anyways, uh, rat hole, big time. So, uh, rat hole. <laughs> so, uh, a couple of things we haven't talked about, and we're seriously running out of town, uh, out of time. This is hysterical. We the rest. We're, we're we've been very very lucky to get the uh, to get the Mesa 14 top floor for the whole night. Our, our big thanks to uh, to Mike and Kevin and and the crew down here at Mesa 14. Fantastic food, by the way. That's why we started late a little bit as well. My fault. I had the big enchilada. Yeah, uh, don't 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 sit in the car. You had the whole today. enchilada. I had the whole, exactly. <laughs> and uh, Steve, what did you have? I had the burrito enchilada combo platter. That that is well, that's what I had too. But I, I do you have these chicken in the? No, I went beef. Uh, went beef all around. All around, yeah. And the refried beans were good too. Eh? I don't touch refried beans. Oh, I love them. They were good. That's probably the way yeah, the car is going to smell later on. Speaking yeah, of mushroom, I was going to call shotgun, but I think. Yeah, who's driving me home? I don't want to be with a guy who just had the beans. <laughs> so anyway, so we're big, big, very, very thankful to to the to the crew down here at Mesa 14, so big thanks to them. But uh, we have a few minutes to go, and I wanted to touch on one of the subjects that you seem to, you, you, you've, you've addicted me to it now, because um, I've been starting playing uh, Left 4 Dead, and you're really, really into zombies, Andre. It's, it's, it's almost eerie, because even one of, your, one of your, your, your Twitter pics is like, is you with a zombie face, or I think the Instagram pic. Yeah, that's zombie booth. That's uh, one of the it's an iPhone application, and it's actually quite good. You take a picture, and very quickly, they turn you into a zombie. We'll have to do that before I leave. <laughs> that, that could be interesting. I, I would say we vote Eric off the island for that one. <laughs> well, yeah, he, well, he already looks like... <laughs> like, like dead, well, he's coughing like death. Half dead. Up. Well, if it's that toe fungus we were talking about earlier... Uh, I said we we're going to mention the toe fungus, because he won't get that toe out. <laughs> Dermitophytes? <laughs> I didn't even know I had a name. <laughs> so, so how, how did you get into like zombie movies that to that level? It, it's kind of crazy. I mean, I, I, I'm, a, I'm very big into sci-fi. I'm very big in, well, maybe not as much into horror books. The, the book that really got me interested into zombies was uh, World War Z, uh, which is a very uh, original take on zombie books, where instead of getting everybody into a farm and people trying to eat their brains is essentially a series of interviews of what happens 10 years after the zombie war. So essentially it's a journalist that's going through a variety of people who played a major role into the zombie war 10 years after the fact and they're recounting how humanity first was crumbled under zombies and ultimately figure out how to kill them all and ultimately rebuild civilization awesome. out of the zombie. It is Awesome. One of the most awesome book I've ever read, and to make it even more interesting, the um, the 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 story of that book, they they wanted to make a movie out of that. There was a bidding war between uh, DiCaprio's and um, oh, come on, what's his name? He's married, Brad Pitt's Brad Pitt, okay. production company. So Brad Pitt won. So he is going to star into the World War Z movie. The first script was written by. Uh, Joe Michael Stravinsky of Babylon 5 fame. Oh, wow. Um, but they're actually, like, they're, they're rewriting. They're rewriting. Yeah. They're getting somebody to take a script and rewrite in something more Hollywood. Uh, but I'm guess, I get the feeling this is going to make an absolutely awesome movie because the story is so original at starters. Um, so between that and, of course, the other big zombie thing these days is The Walking Dead, yeah. which has been... 
a really awesome comic book. They're up to issue number 79, I think. And what's fun about The Walking Dead, it's not just the story of what the zombies themselves, the zombies are pretty much the same in that they're like a side character in this movie. They're just like those dead guys who like to eat people. But it's really how humanity and how people react to the end of civilization uh, and how they interact with each other. It's a very, very interesting story. I mean, the only thing I can tell you about The Walking Dead, if you're watching it on TV... Sorry, on I was going to ask you, are you watching The Walking Dead on TV? God, or? yes. Okay. Because <laughs> uh, there's a controversy about how it's, it's nowhere near what the book should be. I think it's... I mean, what? We've seen three episodes now. I, I normally, I'd be watching the last one now, and I'm kind of busy talking with a bunch of geeks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I get it through, ID, iTunes, through iTunes, so... Okay. Uh, He's watching it right now, I think. No, yes. yeah, he's looking down at that iPad. <laughs> but, well, that's the thing. My wife and daughters are probably watching it tonight, and they so better not tell me too. what's Spoilers. happening. So, so they're big into zombies, too. They're big into zombies. I mean, uh, the, we have some very healthy family uh, t- television habits, like The Walking Dead and True Blood. And then there's Pro- Goth Wednesdays and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> This coming from a geneticist. I don't know. <laughs> it's quite funny, really. But you know what? I, I, I actually caught myself watching Shaun of the Dead. Oh, I love oh, Shaun of the Dead. That, that is my favorite. That is my favorite. One of my favorite movies of. of um, oh, I forget his name. Well, now. you look like Shaun anyway. <laughs> I forget his name now. What's his? Uh, my, um, Peg. Uh, Simon Peg. Simon Peg. He's he's done a few of them, like uh, Hot Fuzz. Uh, run, Fat Boy, Run. But Shaun of the Dead is absolutely just epic. Because after working in England for 10 years, that's pretty much what people look like in pubs. They have their Nokia 3210 or whatever Let's go to the Winchester. Well, like, like in the Winchester right now. And they're just like, <laughs> it, it looks a bit like we're in the Winchester, actually. And they're just sitting there and they're texting. And they're, they're sitting across the table texting each other. And now that's pretty much what we've all become with our iPhones. But it was, it was scary. You'd go into stores and you wouldn't tell if somebody was a zombie or what, not. What I absolutely adore about Shaun of the Dead is how utterly clueless these guys are that the world is ending is behind ending. them. Yeah, that's the whole point, I mean, right? the beginning, the, all, the in, all the indications are there during the movie. If you pay attention, that's what's fun about watching a movie yeah. five or six times is you're looking at these little clues happening in the background as they're going on through their meaningless lives and you're seeing the whole world falling into pieces in through radio reports that you can barely hear and you're going forward, back, forward. Did I get the little details yeah, that yeah, I missed? Right. Same fantastic. thing with televisions. Yeah. It's these little things that makes a movie great. Well, I, I, I started watching movie. it. It was, it was quite late at night and uh, and I started watching this thing and I, I had no, 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 no knowledge of, of the movie or anything and I, um, uh, I, I caught it a little bit and it just drew me right in. Like, I'm watching this thing and I said, I should go to bed now and I'm like, Half an hour later, I'm, I'm still watching you it, you know, you and I'm zonked. And you can't, just, and, and even when it ends, you can't stop watching because you just want to know is that really how it's going to end? Is it really going to that way? And you keep going all the way through the end of the credits just because you want to see what the hell's going on. Yeah. Well, you, you look at like the ending, but you have to realize if the zombie apocalypse ever happens, come on, we're going to figure it out after a few weeks that, okay, shoot him in the head, we're done. That's it. So the, next. There was yeah. one book I read, which was uh, essentially uh, that's the only book I ever read on zombies that the protagonist actually knew what zombies were and how to kill them. They had the whole zombie lore at their fingertip. And how oh, was it? The, the Night of the Living Trekkies, I think. Oh, so really? Essentially, that book was what would happen if the zombie apocalypse happened, but it's from the, the point of view of people at a Star Trek convention. convention. 
Did you did you read the um, or or listen to the there's one book where it's like uh, it's Abraham Lincoln. Oh, Abraham Lincoln and the, and zombies. Yeah, there's some other ones, zombie ones as well. Was that any? I haven't okay. read that. It's it's the same thing with. Um, Oh, what's a Jane Austen book? Uh, oh, Pride uh, and Prejudice and Zombies. Yes, They're actually yes. making a movie out of that with um, that girl from... Um, we, we, usually Ben's on the wiki. Scarlett Johansson, I'm in. No, 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 no. <laughs> I think everyone's in. No, no, Ben's no, on no, wiki, no, but he's no, doing no. the one. You watched the Big Bang Theory the other night, didn't you? Uh, no, I missed it this week. Oh, it's, where, it's where they point the telescope in Hawaii, actually, at Scarlett Johansson. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't that telescope when I was... Oh that, wow! That, well, when I was in Hawaii, we actually I actually used my NRC contact to find an astronomer who would work at one of the. Um, at Kitt Peak. Uh, it was it was the, well the NRC runs the uh, Canada France Hawaii telescope on the top of Mauna Kea, so we actually had a uh, um, private tour of the observatory, and let me tell you, Mauna Kea is really 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 high. We were living at. Uh, sea level at the time, and in one day we're going up to fourteen thousand feet. Wow, that's yeah. insane! Uh, so essentially, I had the beginning of pulmonary edema. My daughter had an asthma attack. Nice. My other daughter was essentially acting like she was drunk out of her skull. My wife was. She fine. had the bends. <laughs> yeah, it, it was fine. <laughs> fine. She might have been drunk, but she's always like that. Sounds, sounds like a vacation to me. <laughs> but we knew we were going there. We actually had That's coats crazy. and everything. So you, you you're up there. The the humidity is four percent. It's windy, like you wouldn't believe. It's like two degrees, and because of it's so dry. It just sucks the, the heat out of your bones when you're up there. But it is totally amazing. The sky is out of this world. That's fantastic. But, yeah, going from zero to 14,000 feet in one day is not something I would recommend. <laughs> to. And we actually went hiking to the actually top of Mauna Kea, and that was just... <sighs> I got to try that. I, I'm, I'm, I love my mountaineering. I've got to... It's a challenge now. I got to go to Hawaii, honey! <laughs> You need a special car to drive up there. Uh, cool. I uh, like the one they had in Top Gear. Did you see that episode of Top Gear where they tried to drive over the, over the, is it Chile? And they drive from one side of the South America to the other side. And so they had to modify the car to get over. And at one point, they decided, we're going to go over, the, over this, this dead zone. And basically, uh, the air intake wasn't big enough, and, and the car wasn't produced. They couldn't get enough oxygen, oxygen into the engine to make it running. So basically, and the guy's like, hey, they're basically taking, they're taking Viagra to try to stimulate the blood, the, the 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 oxygen to you know the, the circulation in their body so they're 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 jacked up on Viagra they're having trouble yeah. driving the car to begin with we, we drove it's up a nine thousand episode of Top Gear we'll put that in the show notes which one it is there but it is pretty interesting when we drove up nine thousand feet they actually recommend that you go and open up your your gas tank and you open up and it's like wow because of the the pressure by when you at fourteen thousand feet you get about sixty percent of normal air pressure that's a Big difference. So it's it's quite impressive. You have astronomer astronomers living there uh, for several weeks at a time. So there must be have climatization and yeah, they have they have like a little hotel at nine thousand feet, so they get used to it. Yeah, Yeah. so they get used to it nine thousand feet, then they go up to fourteen. It's crazy. Everest base camp. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy stuff. So uh, we're, 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 we're really running out of time. Uh, we, we're supposed to be out of here at 10. These guys like to leave, leave uh, the restaurant at 10 o'clock. So I, I, have to, I don't want to do it, but i got to cut the show short. Stratomatic Baseball. I'll have to be here for another day. We'll have to do Stratomatic Baseball and sci-fi books. Join us next time, please. Uh, it's really uh, – I can't believe we went that we, 
How many rat holes? Did we lost count? Or oh, we just... oh I, I, I was so sure we were going to go over like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> <laughs> but it's been absolutely fantastic. Now, they're, they're, we're going to mention some of the books in, in, uh, in the show notes. Uh, we'll, we'll try to make one of them our Audible pick, pick if it's on Audible. If you want to find out how to get your free book, go to twofatdads.com forward slash Audible. You get a free book and download it now. It's yours to keep forever even if you decide not to stick with Audible. But if you join a, a goal plan or whatever, you get a, a book a month and uh, I'm I'm on a, on loads of books right now. I gotta I gotta catch up. I'm still trying to finish the graveyard book. I it's it's I re- reading over and over and over again. I just I was told to the audible book of World War Z is spectacular. Well, we'll make that our pick then. World War Z audible book. I will download that next with my next credit. And uh, you guys should get it too. Get it. Make it your free book this this week. So it's uh, twofatdads.com forward slash audible. Find out all about it. My big thanks to uh, to Mesa fourteen for helping us uh, helping us out and giving us uh, giving us an actual. Monster studio. Yeah, uh, we just got to get much. some lighting in here. I guess for next, Take care time. Of that next time. We got to give the Wendy House a break this week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's me and Reno. Uh, <laughs> we we didn't need to go into Steve's Woodstock to heat the Wendy House. So. <laughs> there you go. That's good. So my big thanks to Steve again for 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 being on the show. Uh, thank you for coming in. It's it's nice to have all the guys in. Ben, thank you very much. You're welcome. Eric, thank you. Alistair, thank you for joining as well. And a very special thanks to Andre Nautel. Uh, it's been it's been a real honor. Thank you. Thank you very much. To peek out with you for one night. Coming out. It yeah. is so pleasant to be able to talk on a podcast without dealing with Twitter, with uh, Skype lag. You oh. have no idea. <laughs> well, we'll try to do this more often. I'm having more fun because I'm not hitting buttons every five seconds. I'm not trying to find out. I'm not getting Ben all mad at me. <laughs> all angry oh, because I'm sitting oh, in a Cylon. I can't get on Skype. <laughs> it's not my fault your internet sucks. Hey, hey, <laughs> hey. Take it back. Take it back. I'm on video and, and you know what was really cool is that we had, uh, we had a couple people in the, in, the, in the chat room talking to us as well, which is kind of neat too. So Excellent. we'll try to get organized. A little bit better for next time. Thank you if you did listen to us on the stream. I know it was really dark, and uh, but we're gonna we're, we'll we'll try it again another time. It's it, it was fun. It didn't cost us a penny. Well, more than the mic that we well, bought. Well, Eric might argue with that about the. <laughs> you haven't seen my that. bar bill yet. <laughs> yeah, we still have to pay our tab. <laughs> well, also, and I'm wondering where I expense the parking. Well, I, that I'm afraid you have to take it up with the uh, chief of uh, chief of who, operations. Who's not here? Funny enough, he stayed home. So, (laughs) thank you. He's still hiding. Thank you very much, everyone. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks, Andre. Bye bye. Bye, Bye, everyone. Thank you. What a great trip we had. All right, so we're going to do the real show now. We're going to do the real show now. Dry run was good. Dry run was good. I think the levels were fine. So, exactly like on Twit, right? (laughs) 